Well, good morning. Welcome to Dogwood Church. It's so good to see each of you today. Uh, If you have children that need to be taken to the nursery, they can be taken back to the nursery now. We do not have 252 today with it being uh, fifth Sunday and with us taking communion. Uh, Children who normally would go to 252 are going to stay in uh, with us. I remembered it's 252. (laughs) Uh, uh, They're going to stay in the service with us to, to be a part of the full worship service. So... Well, thank you for joining us. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 3. Last week we looked at the call to repentance, which was uh, a big part of John the Baptist's ministry, right? As he was preparing the people for the coming Messiah, it was a call to repentance. Get ready. He's coming. The promised one is almost here. It's time to turn to God. It's time to draw close to Him and receive the forgiveness that he uh, is offering. So today, we're going to look at a text about Jesus' baptism and uh, the genealogy of Jesus, the the descendants uh, that he came from. Uh, Luke uses the relationships here. Uh, I'm I'm including both the baptism verses and the genealogy together because he's using this to to make a clear presentation about who Jesus is is and and what he came to fulfill and accomplish. Um, And so I've titled my sermon, Jesus the Son. Uh, And so we're going to look at a declaration from the Heavenly Father about who Jesus is, and then we're going to see his genealogy and who he is descendants of and what that means for uh, God's people. I'm going to read the text from Luke 3, verse 21 to 38, and then I'm going to pray for us. Luke 3, starting in verse 21, When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Methot, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maoth, son of Mattathias, son of Simeon, son of Josek, Son of Jodah, son of jo- Joannan, son of Ressa, son of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adai, son of Cossum, son of Elamadam, son of Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eliezer, son of Joram, son of Mathot, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, Son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Eliakim, son of Meleah, son of Mena, son of Matatha, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Amenadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, 
son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Reu, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalalel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. (laughs) I had to brace myself for that one. (laughs) All right, praise God for the reading of his word. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word is good. It is all good and it is all true. And so I pray that you help us as we look at your word today. I pray that you open our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, now. uh, That you prepare our hearts uh, to believe this truth uh, and prepare us as a people to respond to its truth. uh, To live lives changed because of it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so sometimes when we come to texts like this, uh, you know, there are other genealogies, some much longer than this in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, and when we come to those passages, it's, you know, easy to think, man, what's the purpose of all of this? Like, what's the purpose of just a big, long list of names? Uh, and there's the temptation of like, I'm just going to skip ahead. Like, this is boring, right? Just to see name after name after name. Um, and so there, before we get into the text, I do want to point out a couple of things that I try to remind myself of when I come to passages like this. Uh, and one, first off, we've got to remember, if this is part of God's Word, which it is, and if this is God's Word, then it matters, right? This has been inspired by God, and God has a purpose in it being here. And so it's important, even a passage like this that is mostly names, there is an important message for us here. Other things that I try to remind myself of when I come to passages like this is to remind myself that God uses all kinds of people, right? God cares about all kinds of people, not just like the really prominent people, not just the influencers. Here we have a list of names and some of them were like, oh, I know him. I know exactly who that is. And that's one of the, like the men of faith that's really well known. But there's a lot of names that we know nothing about other than that they were listed here as one of Jesus's ancestors. And so I think that's important for us to remember. God uses really important people and he uses people that, no, that nobody knows outside of him and just their immediate family. Right? He uses kings and carpenters to fulfill his purposes. And I think that's really good for us to remember when we come to a passage like this that we're bored with, that we want to skip over and move on to something that's a little more exciting or at least has something uh, you know, tangible for us to grab onto. Is like, no, I'm going to slow down and look at this and remind myself. God cares about these people. And God uses all kinds of people just like he still does today. 
Now, for us, as we're looking at this text, we're working through the Gospel of Luke. And it's important to remember that Luke, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he had a purpose in including this genealogy. And he had a a purpose of including the genealogy here, where he did, when Jesus is 30 years old. That's interesting that he chooses the the start of Jesus' ministry Right, Matthew includes it at the birth of Jesus, like in the birth narrative. Here we have Luke including the genealogy when he's 30 and getting ready to start his ministry. But there's a purpose behind that. Luke is trying to tie together this declaration from the Father from heaven that we see at his baptism and this genealogy all the way back to Adam And he's trying to to paint a picture here of Jesus being the Son, the Son of God, but also the Son of these individuals. He is fulfilling a purpose. He is accomplishing some very important things, and he's fulfilling some promises that God made to these people throughout uh, history. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. We won't go through name after name and try to look at everyone, but I do want to pull out a few of these individuals and, and consider what it means that he was a descendant of them, what, that he is a son of them. So this passage for us is one for us to believe that this is who our Savior is. This is who Jesus is and to let those truths shape us. So for us today, I'm going to have us look at these important truths, and each point is going to tie in and address Jesus the Son and kind of point out some different things about Jesus and his sonship. The first point is this. Jesus is the Son of God who came to make us children of God. Jesus is the Son of God who came to make us children of God. And so in Luke 3, starting in verse 21, we have the baptism account of Jesus. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And as he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus being baptized as he's getting ready to start his ministry. Uh, That's important for us to know that this is not because, remember, John's call to repentance and call for the people to be baptized because of their repentance was for them to turn from their sins. Jesus is not being baptized because he's having to repent of sins. Jesus was sinless. He was sinless for the 30 years up to this point, and he was sinless the rest of his life. So he's not being baptized because of sins that he was having to repent of. But there's a couple of things that he's doing by being baptized by John. First is he's connecting himself to John's ministry, right? We know that John has been declared as the forerunner of the Messiah, the one that's preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And so by Jesus coming, following him uh, and being baptized by him, he's connecting himself to the forerunner so that his ministry can start 
now that the forerunner has come. But he's also more important for us is he's connecting himself to the people who would come in repentance, who would turn to God for the forgiveness that he is providing. Jesus fulfilled all the law. He fulfilled the law by obeying everything that he was uh, supposed to do and avoiding the things that he wasn't supposed to do. And so when it comes to him obeying the things that he was supposed to do, that means even following commands that he was, that people were supposed to repent and turn to God and be baptized. Jesus connects himself to that, to connect himself to God's children and to say that I'm here with you. And so he fulfills all righteousness. John talks about this. This is not because of his sin. He's just fulfilling all righteousness. Everything that he should have done, everything that human beings should have done, Jesus fulfilled those things. So, Jesus here goes to be baptized by John. And we see all three members of the Trinity here at the baptism, right? Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, goes to be baptized. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descends on Him in the, in the physical appearance of a dove, symbolizing the, the peace that is now here, the peace that Jesus came to bring between man and God. The Holy Spirit is present, and then we have the declaration from the Father. All three members of the Trinity are here, at the baptism of Jesus. And the declaration from the Father is important, right? Gabriel told Mary, your child, the child that God is miraculously going to bring about from you, even though you've never been with a man, your child will be the Son of God. And so this is not just that the, that the angel Gabriel told Mary that Jesus was going to be God's son. We have the Father, God the Father, declaring from heaven, You are my son, and I'm well pleased with you. I am well pleased. And the language there not only is a true declaration from the Father, You're my son, You're my beloved son, and I am pleased with you. But it's also pointing out uh, who Jesus is, what he came to fulfill from some Old Testament statements. In the Old Testament, Psalm 2 talks about the, uh, the king, the rightful king. And the, the Father declaring, God the Father declaring that uh, he is pleased with him. And that he is the person that is intended to rule. And then we have passages in Isaiah, all of the suffering servant passages, about God sending his Messiah, the the servant who will suffer in his people's place in order for them to receive the forgiveness and the restoration with God. And so those passages talk about God being pleased with the servant that he would endure this suffering for his people. And so the declaration from the Father is that you're my son. And it's letting the people know he's, he's the rightful king. 
He's the suffering servant that I promised. He's the one that's come to make things right between us again. To restore things the way that they should have been. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the only one who was going to be able to do this because He's the Son of God. And that's who Jesus is. And so remember, the point is, Jesus is the Son of God who came to make us children of God. And so we see that in John. And we see the New Testament talks about uh, us being God's children in multiple places. But in John 1, starting in verse 12... But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be children of God. In First John we looked at this verse of a while back uh, that John points out. He's like, look at the love that we've been given, that we would be called God's children. And then for emphasis, he says, and we are. Like, we're really God's children. God's done that for us. So if we have believed in Jesus, if we have trusted in him, we have become God's children. He has adopted us. And I remember reading somewhere, uh, and I don't remember who it was that said it, but I remember reading somewhere a, a point that I thought was beautiful and a, rem, a really good reminder concerning that. Because we have the language of God adopting us. Uh, but the writer said, when God adopts us as his sons and daughters, he doesn't call us his adopted son. And his adopted daughter, he calls us sons and he calls us daughters. Like we are his children. And what a beautiful thing for those of us who are united with Jesus to be called and to actually be the children of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And an additional beautiful thing for us to hold on to today, like with the stuff that we walk through in our lives, is the declaration of our Father. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience, Scripture says, like, not only did Jesus take the punishment that we deserved when He died on the cross, but He gave us his perfect obedience, his righteousness, the way that he was perfectly obedient in every way has been applied to us if we believe in Jesus. And so for us, children of God today, that is a beautiful thing because the statement from the Father that he declared over Jesus is what he declares for you today and what he declares for me today. You are my son you are my daughter, and I'm so pleased with you, and I need that. Which of us doesn't need to be reminded daily, I'm God's child, and I may be a wreck today. I may have a bunch of failings, and I may have a bunch of junk that I've walked through, and I'm struggling step by step, but I'm still God's child And that can't be taken away. 
And that is a beautiful, beautiful truth for us to hold on to. Because Jesus is the Son of God who came to make us children of God, if we have believed in Him, that's who we are. Now, as we work through the rest of this text, as we get into the genealogy part of this text, I'm not going to read through the whole text again. Uh, I'm just going to pull out a couple of names because there's some names here that Luke is trying to emphasize some points. And this is who Jesus is. And because of who he's a descendant of, he's fulfilling the promises that were given to them. And so we're going to kind of look at just a few individuals from his lineage and the fulfillment of the promises that God gave. So the second point from this text is this. Jesus is the son of David who is the rightful king. Jesus is the son of David who is the rightful king. So when we look back in Luke 3:31, we see that he is a descendant of David, son of Melaiah, son of Menah, son of Matatha, son of Nathan, and son of David. He is a descendant of David, which means he is an heir to David's throne. Right? Gabriel told uh, Mary this. When we walked through uh, Gabriel's announcement that she's going to have a child, uh, and as he explains everything to her in Luke 1, In verse 32 and 33, Gabriel tells Mary this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. His reign, his rule, his Kingdom will have no end. This was a promise that was made to David. When you are gone, I'm going to raise up a descendant of you. I'm going to raise up one of your sons. And he is going to have an eternal rule. He's going to have a kingdom that doesn't end. It just keeps going and growing. God promised David that. In 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16 is the verse that we're going to look at. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. And this is after where he has come and said, I will raise up a descendant from you. And so he tells him, your throne's not going to end. Your rule, your kingdom will be established forever through the descendant that is coming. And by pointing out that Jesus is a son of David, is a descendant of David, Luke is trying to point the readers to, he's the rightful king. He's the king that God had promised all the way back to David. He told him, I'm going to send a descendant of yours whose reign and kingdom will be established forever. Jesus was the rightful king. And Luke needed to show he is actually a descendant of David. And so that's part of including this long line back to David is to say, see, he really is the promised one. 
He, God promised that he would send one, and here he is. And so as the son of David, who is the one that God promised, Jesus is the rightful king, and his reign and his kingdom will not end. And we know that when he returns, he will assume that position as the reigning king, because he's the rightful king. The third point from this text in Luke 3 is this. Jesus is the son of Abraham who blesses the nations. Jesus is the son of Abraham who blesses the nations. We read about Abraham in Genesis uh, and God made a promise to him. And he reiterated that promise multiple times. But here we see Luke pointing out he is a descendant of Abraham. He's a, a son of Abraham. And so Luke three thirty-four, Son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor. He is a son of Abraham. The second name that demonstrates Jesus is a fulfillment that was given in the Old Testament promise is Abraham. In the Genesis story, God called out Abraham, who had no children, and he said, I'm going to make you a father of many. And I'm going to use you to bless the nations of the world. Not just the, the people in your line, but I'm going to bless all the nations. Some of your translations translate as bless the Gentiles even. And that's an important part of what Luke wants to present is Jesus didn't just come as a savior for the Jews. He came as a savior for the whole world. And so he is a fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham. That promise was reiterated multiple times. We're going to look at it from Genesis chapter 22. This is after Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And God stopped him to show, like, I'm providing a sacrifice for you. I'm sending someone for your son, so that he doesn't have to die. So to point ahead to Jesus. But Abraham was willing to follow in obedience. And God reiterates his promises to him. And in Genesis 22, verse 18, God says these words, And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, because you have obeyed my command. The nations of the world, the, even the Gentiles, every single nation of the world will be blessed because of Abraham's offspring. And Paul in Galatians goes on to say, that was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham that provides the blessing, that makes it to where even Gentiles can come to God that makes it to where every person in the world can be made right with God if they would just come to Jesus. Luke wants to show he is a son of Abraham and he's a fulfillment of that promise that the nations will be blessed. Jesus came and he fulfilled that promise by making a way for all of us, 
every single person to be made right with God if we would just turn from our sins and believe in Him. We could be reconciled to God. We can receive the blessing that was promised to Abraham. The fourth point is this. Jesus is the son of Adam who came to reverse the curse of Adam. Jesus is the son of Adam who came to reverse the curse of Adam. So part of what Luke's wanting to do by going all the way back to Adam, Adam being the first man, Adam being the father of all mankind because he is the first man, Luke is trying to show he's the savior of the whole world. He's the savior for all of humanity. And if you remember the Genesis story of Adam and Eve living in the garden, perfect and in the presence of God, but they were told, don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And yet they sinned. They disobeyed God. And the result of that was a curse not only on them, but on all of creation. All of creation is suffering the curse that came from Adam. Sin has entered the world and every single one of us has a sin nature because of Adam's sin. And all of creation is broken. Romans refers to it as like it's groaning because it's, it's broken and longing for things to be made right. And by going back to Adam, we see here that Jesus is the one who came to reverse the curse of Adam. Now that promise was made in Genesis 3. And it was a promise given in the declaration that was given to the serpent. Genesis 3, verse 15. God speaking to the serpent says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. This is known as the Proto-Evangelion, the, the first gospel, the first declaration that God's sending someone to right the wrong. God's sending someone that's going to crush the head of Satan. God's sending someone that's going to reverse the curse that Adam brought into the world. He's going to make things right again. And so by going back to Adam and seeing that Jesus being a son of Adam, we are reminded that he's the one that came to reverse the curse. He's the one that's going to restore things the way that they should have been all along, the way that God intended them to be. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul also talks about this in Romans. But in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all all will be made alive. The world is under a curse because of Adam and his sin. Death entered in and every person is destined for death because of Adam and his sin and the sin nature that we have. 
But he says, but through Jesus, we have the reversal of that. We have life through Jesus Christ. We have the promise of a resurrection that even if we die in our bodies, we will see God in his presence. We will be resurrected. He's going to reverse the process of what has happened, the curse from Adam. I don't know how many of you have read the, um, read the uh, C.S. Lewis stories uh, and the Lion and the Witch of the War- and the Wardrobe uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Or if you've seen the movies, they also have this scene in the movies, which I love Aslan in that. Uh, in the movie portrayal, it's awesome. But Aslan is the lion, right? Uh, and in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, Aslan makes an agreement with the witch to give himself up so that Peter can be set free. Right? Peter has committed a treachery, and the only way for him to be set free is for Aslan to take his, take his place, say, I will step in for him. And they kill. So the witch and all of her evil you know, members that are with her, they kill Aslan. But Aslan comes back to life. And Aslan is explaining to the girls when they're amazed, they're like, Aslan, we saw what happened. How can this be true? Like, how could you be alive again? And Aslan says this word as he is explaining to them what has took place and what the witch didn't understand. He says, when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Death itself would start working backwards. And that's what Jesus has accomplished in dying in our place and then God resurrecting Him because death had no power over Him. And we have the promise that we too will see that resurrection life if we are in Jesus. Because Jesus is the son of Adam who came to reverse the curse of Adam. Now, if you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation and for the forgiveness of your sins... We want you to do that today. We want you to know that that's what's most important for you today. God loved you so much that He sent His Son for you to die in your place. And if you would just turn from your sins and believe in Jesus, you will be forgiven. You will be adopted as a child of God. You'll be a son or daughter of God. You'll receive the blessings of that the nations were promised to Abraham. You'll receive the resurrection life because the the curse has been reversed through Jesus. And so we want you to do that today. And you can see me after the service uh, and talk with me about that. You can uh, fill out one of the yellow cards and just say, I'd like to meet with the pastor because I'd love to share the good news of the gospel, of of Jesus dying for your sins and, and what you can do to receive that. Church, this is our Savior. Jesus, the Son of God, who came to make us children of God. He's the Son of David, who's the rightful King, 
He's the son of Abraham that blesses the whole world. And he's the son of Adam who came to reverse the curse of Adam. That's our Savior. And he's accomplished all of these things. It's such a wonderful, wonderful truth for us today. So we worship him. We celebrate him today. And now we can pray for the Spirit to work in us, that because this is true, because this is who our Savior is, we can live lives that are changed because of Him and because of what He's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are so good and generous and kind and faithful in Your love towards us. We thank You for your faithfulness. We thank you that you keep all your promises and that you kept your promise to send a Savior, to send one who would bring blessing to the whole world, who would reverse the curse and take the punishment that we deserve. Help us live changed lives because of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to take communion together. If you did not pick up the elements from the back table, there's a few left on the back table. Please pick those up now. Just as today we've seen in the text and we've been reminded of who Jesus is and the fulfillment of the promises that he brought as the Son We're going to take communion today to be reminded of who He is and what He did for us, what He accomplished in coming for us. And so we invite all who have trusted in Jesus for salvation to be a part of this remembrance. We would ask if you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you've never put your faith in Him, if you don't even really quite understand what that language means, we would ask you not to take part in this remembrance of taking this cracker and the juice and what it represents. Uh, And instead, just spend some time praying as we continue to talk about who Jesus is and what he did and and talk with me about about this and how you can receive the forgiveness that God has provided through him. As we take the bread and as we take the juice today, we're reminded of Jesus' body that's been given for us. We're reminded that it was his blood was shed because of our sins, every one of our sins in order to make us right with God. The language from Isaiah 53 is language that is beautiful in reminding us of what Jesus endured in order to accomplish this. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. This is a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus ever came of what the servant was going to do, of what the promised Messiah was going to do to make us right with God. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was, he was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. 
But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. Out of the depth of God's love for us, this is what Jesus Christ did for us. He endured this suffering. He was pierced in our place so that we could have peace with God. So that our sins could be forgiven. I'm going to have Kathy play for us here for a couple of minutes. It's always good for us to just pause and reflect. uh, Prepare our hearts to uh, take these elements. And so during this time where she is playing, I want you praying. Um, You can pray by yourself, pray with your family or close friend who's near you if you want. But spend some time, one, thanking God that he sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserved. Now's the time that we can also confess to God our sins. And then to confess as a whole, God, I I know it's because of my sin, it's because of my rebellion that Jesus had to endure this, that he had to suffer And so would you, as Kathy plays, spend a few moments praying and then I'll come back and pray for us and we'll read scripture from Matthew and take the elements together. Father, we do thank you so much for this time. We thank you for uh, sending Jesus for us. Thank you that you planned a way for us to be rescued and be reconciled with you and become children of God. We thank you that you've done that for us, that you planned that before the foundations of the world were ever set as a demonstration of your love. So as we take these elements, let us remember what Jesus endured. Let us remember that it was because of our sins that his body had to be given over, that his blood had to be shed as a sacrifice for us.
Thank you for your love, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Reading from Matthew chapter 26 through 28. This is on the night that Jesus was betrayed before he went to the cross. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Taking your bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And taking your cup, this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, thank you for this reminder. Amen.